All right, we're rolling. All right. Hello, fellow podcasters. This is Teresa. I am co-pastor here at North Star Community. This is Scott. I am the associate pastor here at North Star Community. We always start with that little inside joke. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, listeners. Uh, We're going to be talking about Scott's message from last weekend, which was the last weekend in March. Do you remember the specific numbers on those days? Uh, 30th and 31st, I believe. Okay. So for all of you who are keeping track of time, I'm trying not to because I'm old as dirt, so I'm trying to forget that time exists. But for the rest of you, that's when we did this. And I'm going to start by uh, frustrating my co-host a little bit by making a completely different point than he intended to make in the message. But the reason I'm going to do this is because I want to tell you that even old dogs like me can learn new tricks. Well, let me let me pause you there for a second. I would love for you to do something off topic because um, people may not think about this when it comes to us delivering messages. Yeah. But I was horribly embarrassed about the message that came out this weekend. And so it's a bit of an exercise in um, shame and vulnerability to uh, have to talk about it again. Well, I thought it was a great message, so... There you have it. But your face does look even a little pink just thinking about it. So I can see that this is a struggle for you. It is. All right. Well, we'll double down on your shame and um, humility by me starting off with this very different kind of conversation about it. Perfect. So you did two things in that message, as I recall. You used my favorite story in the Bible, uh, which is the story of David and Nathan. Now, David and Nathan isn't my favorite part about it. The whole life of David fascinates me. And so I've spent a considerable amount of time studying and speaking on David and his story because um, there is this juxtaposition of David, who is the giant slayer, who is a man after God's own heart, who is this beautiful artist, an anointed king. And also he does a very naughty thing. In fact, several naughty things. Yes. And so the life of David has always fascinated me. Not just not naughty. I mean, really like bad. Like off the reservation. Yeah. I yep. mean, he he seriously left the reservation. So you started off with that, and then you ended up with a Proverbs. Uh, at the, I think it was Proverbs 15. Yep about wisdom and your point of your message was about wisdom and discernment. So I want to I want to just tell you how applicable thinking of that like like that is was for me during the message okay. that you hated but that I learned from. All righty. So I think upon further analysis the thing that fascinates me about the life of David is that he's such a relatable character. Mhm. And triggers some of my worst anxieties and fears that as a woman who wants to be a faithful person, if David could completely go off the reservation and do a despicable thing like 
uh, here's the here's the analysis of his despicable things. In the spring, when most kings go to war, David stayed home, got him in nothing but trouble. He's sitting on the top of his roof doing God knows what, sees Bathsheba bathing, thinks she's a hot ticket item, uh, sleeps with her, uh, and she turns up pregnant. He calls Uriah home from the field to trick Uriah into sleeping with his wife so that he might, his, his fatherhood might go undetected. Uriah refuses to do so because he doesn't think it'd be honorable to have sex with his wife while his fellow troopers are out <laughs> fighting for a king who has stayed home. It's pretty funny. In, instead of going. And for his wisdom, uh, courage, um, high moral standards, Uriah gets sent to the front of the ba- battle lines by David through one of his generals, so he'll get murdered. Yeah, that's the bad of that story. I always think I'm. I always think it's so funny. Like I don't, I don't know if they intended it to be funny, but the the line of in the spring when most kings go to war. Yeah. Is that exactly how they phrase it? Yes. David stayed home. I need to. Yeah, well, it's pr- pretty close. I know that the quote itself is in the NIV, and it's in the spring when most kings go to war. And I don't know what the last phrase is, but it's Keep pretty Keep talking. Close. I'm going to try to look it up because I just, that, that's just so funny to me. So anyway, David did these things, you know, started out with one irresponsible act, and he piled one poor decision on top of another. When as a king, he had a lot of latitude for doing really bad things. Um, and uh, if if he had wanted Bathsheba, he probably could have said to his loyal servant Uriah, hey, your wife is really hot. Can I have her? And he probably would have given her to him. So there's that. Okay. So the story has always fascinated me. And um, the part that has terrified me is the part that you read. So some period of time passes between that and Nathan the prophet showing up. And as you highlighted last weekend, when prophets show up on your doorstep, that's not usually good news. They're usually going to tell you something hard. And Nathan told a story, uh, which I'm sure you'll get into when when I finally shut up, and um, basically confronted David. David repented of his sin. Nathan says that God forgives him of his sin. And then he says but a sword will always be upon your house. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a an advocate of, um, or that's not the right word. It's not advocate. Although I'd like to be an advocate for suffering families, I'm um, obsessed with family systems in general. Then I spent a long time uh, annotating how the scripture then proves that point by all the horrible things that happened to his children. All right, now here's the part, here's the point of all this for me. I'm fearful about that story because I am always afraid that I am going to have to suffer the consequences of my family of origin's sin. 
And before I understood how to read scripture with more accuracy, instead often read it through the lens of my own limited human perspective, I mistakenly believed that what this scripture was saying is that sometimes when you're so naughty, God even punishes your children for it. Now, it turns out that that's not really what God says. And you were so clear on that, on the message, that that didn't even seem to be a major point for you. Um, and I... Well, it's not that it's not a major point for me. It's that we spend a lot of time talking about that point here. Right. So I felt comfortable trying to highlight a different aspect of that passage, knowing that over our history, we've done a really good job, I think, addressing that particular point. Well, I, you know, maybe we have, but the thing of it is that I thought of is because you emphasized a different point, I learned something new from a passage of Scripture that I have obsessed over for 34 years, and it was extremely comforting to me. Okay. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it because I, I care less how you felt about that message than the blessing I received from it. Mm. So that's what I want to say. So thank you. So um, now tell me about your point for the message. <laughs> I thought what you were saying there is that I uh, didn't uh, didn't make the right point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, because you're sitting in your shame and humiliation. You, you, It shocked you that what I was really trying to do was give you a word of validation and affirmation. But... Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you made the key point, and it was a point that I would have never been able to see through my own fearful eyes if you hadn't pointed it out to me. So I loved it. Thank you. You helped me. I'll never teach that passage the exact same way again. Well, I don't think it—it's I. funny. I, I don't think what I taught was the key point. I mean, I think there's so many things that you can highlight in those stories because they're really— that whole section of the Bible is really ambiguous what it's trying to say. Yeah. Uh, it's not—and and I don't think, like, yeah, I guess this is probably not interesting for the sake of podcasting, but I don't think that whole section of the the history books is easy to synthesize or make a whole lot of sense of. Like, I—and you have a lot of these stories, and it's it's always been very unclear to me how to use them. Well, I would just say this to you. Uh, I I think, you know, as I pray every weekend that the Holy Spirit move between the messenger's lips and our ears into our heart, it was heart healing for me. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, well, thank you for saying that. Um, it seems to me, though, that, I mean, the one thing you could say is like, um, that these are often stories about how human wisdom goes wrong or how human wisdom is insufficient. Yeah. And I mean, and, and that is not to pick on the Old Testament because uh, it's so rich, but there's, um, that is kind of the Old Testament in general is kind of people trying to get God to do things their way and having him you know, and he accommodates a lot of that. I mean, the people, and so you, you end up in this section where the people 
have been demanding a king, and then God finally gives them kings, and then you see what a miserable failure it is right? Uh, to have kings as leaders. Even a king who is a man after God's own heart. Right. And I, I think, you know, the, the interesting thing about that phrase with David is that it's not just used in advance. Right. Like so many people talk about David as if David was a man after God's own heart and then he blew it. Right. And, um, you know, the way there have been so many um, misreadings that have unfortunately colored how we look at Scripture mm-hmm. such that so many people think um, taking taking the Beatitudes out of context and be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Um, the CEB does a really helpful job translating that. Uh, it says something like love completely or love holistically or love indiscriminately. I can't remember what word they use. Right. As your heavenly father loves indiscriminately. So it's not saying you have to be perfect in all your behaviors and never make a mistake. It's saying show love the way that that God shows love. And this is a goal, and it's the goal of an entire group of people, not the goal of an individual. Passages like that have colored how we think about how our our lives should be. So if I'm a person who hasn't been perfect, well, then I may as well give up on this effort at faith. Right. Um, I've talked to so many people like that, or people stick with it but live in shame of thinking like, well— I, I there's something about this that that keeps drawing me in, but I know I'm always ultimately on the outside, yeah, because I'm not perfect. And I think that's part of why, um, you know, you won't hear any um, any commentaries use David this way, but I I think that pastorally it is the way to talk about David's line, which is he was both a man after God's own heart. And in the aftermath, he's described as a man after God's own heart. And it's important that Jesus be part of David's line. Yeah. Um, there's multiple, multiple reasons for that. But um, the idea is he lives not just an imperfect life, but he did in, uh, you know, in that story with Uriah, it says David did what was evil in God's sight. Right. And Nathan says that to him, too, I believe. Um, And yet, he still ends up a man after God's own heart. He still ends up a hero of the faith. And I don't think that's an oversight. I mean, I think it's just like, uh, hey, this is, you know, it can serve as a reminder to us um, that life has ups and downs, right? Because David, in that story with Nathan— Nathan confronts him with what he's done with Uriah. And I'm going to have to add an intro to this podcast to tell people to read the story before listening to it because we've talked about it in such detail without reading it. But Nathan Nathan comes to him and confronts him about this thing with Uriah. And he does it through indirect communication. He tells a parable about a person about a rich man who takes something that wasn't his from a poor man to use for his own gain. A little lamb. Yep, a lamb, a little pet. 
That and was really upsetting to our crowd. I know. I know nobody, people couldn't get over. Nobody got upset when we said he murdered Uriah, but my God, the lamb. Yeah. It really got us going. So the rich man took a poor man's lamb. It was the only possession he had to feed to a, a traveler. And David said that that man should pay back was it seven times? It's always seven, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, that, that's as good a guess as uh, he, any. Yeah, he said he, he was a, basically a terrible person. He needed to pay back the wrong that he had committed. And Nathan responds, you are that man. Yeah. That you is. did this. That's quite the line. But he did it on a much more severe uh, uh, size and scope and scale. He killed. He had a man killed, essentially, and stole his wife. And... Um, yeah, for future, I want a future context on why we have more sympathy for lambs than we do for humans. It's the same as in movies. When people watch movies, they get way more upset when animals die than when people die. Yeah, I don't know. What is, what's going on with that? I have some theories about that, but we can sidebar later. Okay. Um, but David's response, uh, and, and this is where I've been going with all my rambling, is, I have sinned in the eyes of the Lord. Um. That's the appropriate response. Now, what David did was an extreme evil that that many of us won't ever touch in our lives. Hopefully, prayerfully. Yeah. And so the consequences are are quite severe. And as you said, the the consequences end up falling on his family, Um, which goes to show, in, in a way... Uh, the importance of trying to live as if there may be consequences. Right. Uh, because you can't always uh, stop the gears once they're in motion. Right. Um, but I do I do really want to make that point. Sometimes you can't stop the gears when they're already in motion. So God didn't say in this passage, Dave, I forgive you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make you miserable by you watching your children suffer. Just because that's how bad you've been, um, he didn't say that. It is, it is, it is the prophecy. It is the consequence, and it's that. It goes along with that quote that I'm really taken by. Please forgive well, me. Well, Hank, let's okay. hit the Go pause ahead. button because I want to make because I want to finish making my point first. Okay. Go. Because this was the point of this. This was kind of the point of the message in a way, which is um, that. It's a really good thing that he's able to be confronted with what he's done and then acknowledge the truth about himself. Yeah. And so you have a guy who um, the whole thing could break apart right there for him. You know, his his status as a hero of the faith, like this is a defining moment uh, for him and for the future, not just a David's future, but all of God's people. Right. Right. Because these stories, like all of God's people, it it all hinges on these stories. Right? And it stands in sharp contrast to Saul, who couldn't drive the ball across the finish right. line. Right. Because he never he never got to this point where he'd say, I have sinned against the Lord with any sincerity. Right. David David is a is a uh, serves as a sharp contrast to the kind of King Saul was who would never acknowledge the truth about himself. And um and it doesn't end well for him. Whereas um David does. And that's part of what makes a person a person after God's own heart. Right. It's not the pursuit of perfection or the achievement of perfection necessarily. 
uh, but the ability to acknowledge the truth, um, however difficult that may be. Yeah. All right. So you wanted to make another point about. I just wanted to just like, you know, fine tip this one and put an asterisk on it because of my own uh, insecurities and woundings. Uh, I want to say that this is an example of all of us being punished by our sins, not for our sins. David was forgiven for his sin, but his sinful act created a cascading series of events. It set wheels in motion that had also had negative impact for his family. So it is the grand both and of uh, repentance restoring um, and, as you said, a, ter- uh, a real pivotal point for the continuation of God's people in at this point forward. But it is also uh, a cautionary tale about... Um, our sin consequences, uh, they just don't get wiped clean just because we said we were sorry. Right. Yeah, so, um, you know, ultimately all of this was framed in a conversation about where we seek wisdom. Um, And... You know, as it dealt with, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't. We don't need to necessarily make every parallel to, the, to the message to, uh, to David's life, but, um. You know, it's kind of been my theme over the past couple of weeks that wisdom is a product of really inviting other people into our lives and then truly considering what they have to say, and um. Um. I feel very strongly about that. I mean, I've been, I've received a lot of really good wisdom over the years and in my life, and it's been um, learning to receive that is still a process. I mean, recognizing that it's there is one thing, actually listening and um, taking it seriously is another. And that doesn't always mean just doing what people tell you, right? But right. but wisdom, um, I think 12-step communities, this is another uh, area where twelve-step communities get uh, do the uh, sort of understand this intuitively better than um, the culture at large because there's that pattern of sponsorship and sharing in a group and uh, sharing uh, others' experience, strength, and hope, and all of that stuff. Uh, but you know, I feel like a, a strong cultural message for us, and we talked about this on Saturday. I think is is still just follow follow your heart. And that means just whatever your instinct, whatever your gut animal instinct, we we still operate under this assumption mostly. There's exceptions to this, and I, I know like we had a little debate about this in the, in the room on Saturday, but mostly it's sort of assumed that something that's instinctive and intuitive is more true and more real than something that is um, – thought out and planned for yeah. and, you know, the product of a committee, right? Right, right. Um, and what I'm suggesting is, what I've tr- been trying to suggest is that as far as our lives go, um, wisdom is needs to be the product of the committee. And that doesn't mean that we have to shut down all intuition and all instinct, but it means that we actually have a dialogue between the committee in our intuition, and we try to figure out how to balance them. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and where the David story comes into play in that, I don't really know. And maybe that's why I felt so uh, terrible about the weekend message. But I think the I, I, I think one of the core ideas for me is the idea that we need to be confronted. Nathan goes to David and confronts him, and David actually listens. Right? And it's just a very simple thing that yeah. happens. Well, good um, news for Nathan too, because it doesn't always end well for prophets. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, prophets. Um, uh, uh, prophets have a live terrible lives and get terrible deaths too. Uh, so often. Um, let's see, which is, uh, I don't know what to say about that. So you ended with the proverb, proverb chapter 15. Yes. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but, um, I, I, you know, the, the gist of it. I'm sitting here looking at you in this room and you have 47 Bibles behind you. I know. I, <laughs> yeah, but I already flipped through one of them once and like you can hear the pages turning in the background and I'm too lazy to go and edit that okay. out. Well, go ahead. Uh, but the idea is that, um, the idea of Proverbs 15, 31 to 33 is that it's wise to listen. Yeah. Right. It's an act of humility. There's two, there's two pieces of it. I know, but I really love the second part too. Yeah. yeah. So well, yeah, 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 I'll, it's wise. Yeah, it's it's wise to listen. It's an act of humility. Um, and, um, you know, different translations say this differently, but essentially it's an act of self-hatred to not listen and to not seek counsel. So, po- so podcast listeners, did you hear that? It is an act of self-hatred to not listen and not seek wise counsel. I love that point. You know, I probably would have liked this message better if I'd stuck to my original plan, which is just to talk about those verses, right, and just screw the David story. But uh, because there's – because that's really – you wouldn't have blessed your mommy. (laughs) But (laughs) that's so rich, isn't it? I mean, the idea is is that – Somebody talked about this on Saturday, which is it's it's so uncomfortable to have people give you feedback, to hold you accountable, and to actually listen, right? Like that's um, I I uh, that really stood out to me uh, when um, I won't use the name, but when somebody said that, and um, that uh, it's so true and. At the same time, it we do ourselves a disservice to the point that it can be referred to as self-hatred when we don't do it. I mean, I get annoyed when people say that um, if something doesn't hurt, it's probably not good for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. no pain, no gain kind of right. stuff. Like it, you know, sometimes you can do something that's good for you and it feels okay too. Like right. ease right. up, you know? Right. But when it comes to this accountability piece, it's so true that it's really uncomfortable and it's a long-term strategy. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot, the importance of of seeking long-term strategies for how to live the quote-unquote good life. I actually know why on a neurochemical level it is uncomfortable to receive feedback. Would you like to know that little tidbit? <laughs> <laughs> She's asking that tongue in cheek because she knows that I, 
I draw this. the line at, at, at the neurochemistry stuff. But fortunately for our listeners, I do not. And most of them will 100% be on your side of this, of this. So go ahead. All right. So I can't help it if I'm older and wiser. Yes. This is a curse I bear. Okay. So the brain always looks for patterns, right? And mm-hmm. we have habitual ways of thinking about things. And we even have habitual ways of reacting with a particular feeling. And we have habitual ways about making action. And the brain wants to be so efficient. So think of it like this. The brain's goal is to be able to sit on the porch in a rocking chair and smoke a cigar. And the only way it can ever have any time off is if it identifies patterns and then just follows the pattern. So did you know that when you see a pattern and you act on it, your brain is so happy that it's going to get to smoke that cigar and rock on the porch that it gives you a shot of dopamine? Yes. Feel good dopamine. So the brain wants you to think the same thoughts, feel the same feelings, and do the same habitual pattern, unconscious behaviors your whole entire life, whether it serves you well or not. not So there, boom. (laughs) And not just is there a reward, but it's like um, carving a trail. Yeah. You know, you think about Daniel Boone, like going through all, like, like carving a path through the mountains, you know, so that other people could follow, so that it's easier to follow. Right. Um, part of that habit forming stuff is not just the reward, but it's car it's carving a pathway that's easier to follow going forward. So your brain will now do that same process quicker the next time right. and quicker the time after that because the road is starting to get paved and it's getting smoother. And um, so, yes, having your... Uh, conventional way be challenged is a way of saying um, you've got to step back from this cycle of becoming more you're becoming more efficient at a bad thing right right when you're when you've paved a path that and created a habit that isn't helpful right your brain is concerned with efficiency Right. But it's not concerned with the goodness or the badness of the outcome of that efficiency. Right. Exactly. And so it's our job to recognize when we have allowed habits to form uh, that we get really, really efficient at. And um, sometimes people need to challenge us so that we can recognize that that's a really efficient bad habit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So... I'm actually I'm I'm actually glad you brought that up. Oh gosh, thanks, Scott. <laughs> this has been a great podcast the brain, experience. The for brain me. talk. Well, this is uh, I think um, I hope you feel like you have uh, redeemed your ma- message uh, with a recap and maybe doing it a teeny tiny bit differently today. But oh, it's a little more fun hearing you you talk about it than um, than you doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thus go with the message giver, right? Yeah. Something you love to do and you hate it in equal measures. Well, thanks for sharing with us. I bet the music is playing. Did you want to say something Well, I will say this. Because because you're doing the message this weekend, this will be out before I do the message the next time. Okay. So I want to tell the listeners that part of what happened for me this past weekend is as I was writing the message, 
as I was editing the message, I realized I really had two different messages. And it's always a chaotic mess if you can't synthesize the message into one message. I don't know. I like going for two for one. Well, okay. I'm talking about my process (laughs) and what I ultimately feel good about. I agree with I, you. I, if FYI. I look at something and I'm like, there's two parts and I can't tie them together, then I turn them into two messages because I just feel like that's... Um, that's smart. I feel like it's good. F- I like having one concise message. Yeah. And the piece that I was most passionate about is the piece that I'm putting off for another day. So it hit the cutting for this week, this past weekend in order that you might... Yeah. So More, uh, part of why I didn't like this message was because the piece that I felt really good about, I had to postpone for the sake of clarity over the long haul. So you'll be doing that message in a couple of weeks or so. Yeah. So it'll be when this podcast releases, When whenever, if you're listening to this within a couple days of it going up. Uh, then come this weekend to hear the piece, the follow-up piece that I'm more passionate about. Uh, so if you hear this before like April 15th Great. or so, then, Great. then come to North Star that weekend. Otherwise, you know, just stay in bed. I don't care. <laughs> so you don't care if they come to my message or not? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, you know. Well, I'm feeling pretty ambivalent about my message this weekend, too. Well, you won't by the by the time it gets here. Okay. Well, it is only Tuesday. I still have a few more days to uh, get it get it in better shape. Yep. All right. Well, enough of this nonsense. I'm so hoping that Blue Dot Session has either the Daniel Boone or the Davy Crockett music theme to play under this. I doubt they do. They don't, and I will not. Oh, God, I won't subject everybody, anybody to that. You sure loved it when you were four. Oh, so yeah. All I can tell the, the listening audience is you had a coonskin cap and... Uh, yep. You, oh, and by Several. the way... I found your Indiana Jones hat. I've saved it for you. Awesome. Now, all that aside, the music that you hear that I hope is drowning out all this nonsense is from Blue Dot Sessions. Yep. Which is free music. Royalty free. Yeah. And you can find it at sessions.blue. We're eternally grateful for them because we love free stuff. We are. Uh, You can find, if you... uh don't know this already you can find us on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com or you can check out um the the campaign that we're spearheading to get local businesses involved in the opioid epidemic at leadthewayrva.org leadthewayrva.org yep well i'm gonna go check that out all right listeners we enjoyed our time we enjoyed doing it we hope it isn't too chaotic for you Uh, If not, we'll see you next time. All right. Talk to you soon.